And we're back and joining us in the studio, as is often the case on Wednesdays, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Schlemmer and Metz, that famous team, making up two-thirds of left, right, and center. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I need to, I need to, Jeff, particularly you, I need to pick your brain today as a lawyer. Can I do pick that? Away. I mean, pick your lawyer's brain, not as a lawyer. Well, we talk mind. about cheap legal advice, eh? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I suspect there's some principles at play here that with which I'm not familiar. But here's the story. Um, Fellum and a couple of his buddies are driving up to the family cottage. The fellow is beyond the legal limit. His buddies claim... After the fact, they didn't realize that, and, and that he told them he was okay. So they're scooting up to the family cottage. He drives his leased truck, leased from Ford uh, Credit Canada, Leasing Canada Credit, whatever it's called. Um, gets into a problem because he's not driving properly. He's breaking some of the uh, Highway Traffic Act uh, uh, statutes. Uh, rolls the truck. His two buddies are tossed from the truck. Uh, both of them severely injured because they were not wearing the seat belts with which the truck was equipped. Uh, it goes to court, and eventually it turns out that the judge suggests, as, as judges are able to do in that uh, very serious do-it-because-I-say-so way, just like our parents, because I told you so, the judge says you're going to pay $11.5 million to contestant A and $12.5 million to contestant B because... Um, they were injured because of your negligence, Mr. Driver. Okay, I, I sort of, I could, I could see that. I could follow that. The judge further said that co-liable with the driver was the Ford Leasing Company, because by some strange twist, apparently the leasing company has some responsibility for the people who who lease and drive their vehicles. Now, I wasn't aware of that, and I don't want to put you on the spot if you weren't aware of it either, but. Can you suggest any sort of broad legal principle that might explain why they would hold the leasing company liable for these two fellows who didn't have their seatbelts on, who went for a ride with a guy who was demonstrably drunk, and who rolled the truck? Well, I guess uh, and it has been a while since I've done that that type of work, and some things may have changed, but I'm, I'm having a kind of a, a reverie here that... Uh, the, the the name of the game in these types of cases is to access insurance, and most people have um, $1 million of liability insurance. So the, the object, if, if there are injuries that are catastrophic, would be to try to figure out a way to access other sources of insurance. And I'm just trying to remember, it seems to me that at least when I was involved in it, that it was usually the owner of the vehicle who had the insurance, regardless of who was driving, and that it was the owner's insurance that responded uh, and that that was just a term of the uh, of the way the insurance policy was written, which was a standard form policy approved by the government. But what it what it meant in fact in effect uh, again was that if you borrow somebody else's car and get into an accident, then that person's insurance has to respond to it. Just uh, as <coughs> in the nature of the way we've got our insurance laws set up, um, the insurance company could have a right of what they call subrogation back against you as driver, uh, in which case your insurance company may or may not cover it. Um, but uh, the first responder of insurance would be the insurance on the car itself. Now, in the case of a corporate owner, the other thing that comes to mind, of course, is that we know that Ford has got $20 million, so regardless of how much insurance they have, uh, that company can certainly pay that much. Well, yes, but, but uh, uh, you know, a Global Television could pay it. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs could pay it. Uh, there are lots of corporations who have that much money, 
why should Ford be required to pay it just because they have the money? Again, I think it's just a way that, uh, like the first thing is we have mandatory auto insurance in, in Ontario, which they don't necessarily have in some states in the United States. And the way that we have structured our uh, tort system, our uh, uh, the, the part of the law that responds to people getting hurt is arbitrary in some ways. Like, for instance, the definition of what is considered negligence is much different, uh, much more um, um, lax, I would say, or, or generous, or depending how you want to characterize it, in law than what it is in kind of um, ordinary parlance. So uh, to be considered to be negligent in a car accident case, uh, you may not have really done anything wrong. Um, but, but it's, for instance... Um, we have these conventions about if you run into somebody from behind or, or certain terms, uh, we just sort of decide, okay, this is the way this is, liability is going to be assessed in these circumstances. We're not going to get into a lot of detail. And, and when I mention the standard for what's considered to be negligence, the reason that the standard is pretty low, that is that you can be found to be negligent even though you may have not have really done anything wrong, uh, is because, again, we know, and the judges know, and everybody knows, the insurance companies know when they're setting their, their um, insurance rates and, and the actuaries know this is how we compensate people for certain types of injuries so in Ontario. It's, so it's all a big game we play, though. Well, and I, I, yes, I, I think it is a big game. And uh, one of the things that, that became more and more evident to me as I did that type of work is that uh, in Ontario, in most common law jurisdictions, certainly Canada and the United States, there's a huge difference in the way you're compensated if you're if you suffer a, an injury that basically puts you out out of the box for working for the rest of your life, for instance. So where this fellow may get 11 million dollars, in which case he'll go out and buy a uh, an annuity that will pay him an income every year of X dollars. And the the theory for compensating people in those types of cases is what they call perfect compensation. That is that as near as money can do it, the person should be compensated for their loss. Albeit that in Canada we've got significant restrictions on on compensation for pain and suffering, which they don't have in the States. In Canada, pain and suffering is restricted to the inflation uh, uh, built into $200,000 that was was decided by the Supreme Court of Canada in 1978 as the most you could get for pain and suffering. But when it comes to things like uh, uh, your care, it comes to things like needing to build a house that's uh, accessible, about getting a new handicap van every five years and all that stuff, the court will try and compensate you for all of that as well as your lifetime of lost earnings. Whereas, for instance, if you don't happen to get hit in a car accident, but you just get sick in Ontario, for instance, and you don't have private, well, even if you do have private insurance, most uh, disability insurance will be dramatically less than that. You'll get some kind of monthly amount, and they mm -hmm. may pay for some of your health care, but not very much. Uh, then if you get sick and you not, don't have private insurance and you fall back on the government plan, essentially you're, you're going to get 900 bucks a month for the rest of your life to live on. And that's it. And there's going to be all kinds of health care you're not going to get. You're not going to have a van. You're not going to have a house that's uh, accessible or anything else. You're going to live in a tiny little apartment. Uh, you may get a bit of home care, and that's it. And you're going to be poor. You're going to get 900 bucks a month for all of your living expenses. And so it's very arbitrary to me. So as a solution for that then to uh, maybe we should extend this some more. Maybe we should, you know, if you, if you, if you get ill, maybe we should uh, sue McDonald's or... Uh, Sue uh, Sears or or it's Sue, interesting, Sue isn't it? Bombardier. Well, we're, not, we're, we basically have a socialist totally system random. already. It's, it's not totally <laughs> random. It's again that if you choose to own a car, the law says you have to have insurance on it, and the way that the insurance is written, it says we're going to respond if you if your car is in an accident. Um, that's that's. The but his insurance, we assume whatever his limit is, a million, two million, because he was held co-liable for this settlement, settlement by, the, by the judge, along with Ford Credit. So we assume his, uh, his insurance and whatever assets he may have will go to, towards satisfying that judgment. Yep. But, but 
I still, although I understand in the broadest sense that it is a large game that we play here, seems to me that it's not a very good message we send to our young people about not just assigning responsibility. I don't want to get off on how we don't, you know, we don't take responsibility anymore. But you know, it seems to me that here's a situation where there is some value in in being fair about assigning responsibility. If we as a society say we don't want these two poor fellows to suffer for the rest of their lives then perhaps it's society's role, maybe even the government's role, to provide them with some money. If we all say, well, we wouldn't want to see them, you know, living as you just described, except that we accept that for hundreds of thousands of Canadians. So why should these guys get, excuse me for saying this, because they're both grievously injured, but why should they get a semi-free ride out of this? Yeah, well, I agree with you uh, in those, in the sense that... Uh, that they shouldn't get a semi-free ride, and I think it's a big problem that, again, the the way that you will be um, cared for if you're catastrophically injured in Canada is totally dependent on the way you get injured. And it, and to me, that makes no sense, particularly where nobody's suggesting you're at fault. Now, in, in your case, I would hope that the judge said that there's significant responsibility for them in not wearing a seatbelt. And what they normally would do is say, I'm going to reduce the award by 30%, 50%, whatever the evidence shows, because, you know, they would have engineering reports showing if you'd been wearing a seatbelt, you would have only suffered this injury. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's this much worse. And they should be responsible for that, and the court should assess that. Um, the other thing is that it's a matter of evidence whether they knew that the guy was was uh, drunk or not. If the evidence showed that they knew he was drunk, then that's something uh, where they've taken a risk voluntarily, volente non fit injuria. Uh, they should be held responsible for that too. So we still have a fault-based system for catastrophic injury in Canada. Volente non fit. Um, what was it? Volente non fit injuria. That uh, that uh, basically, it's if you if you voluntarily assume the risk of something, then you can't complain about it. So, for instance, if you choose to go skydiving, I remember there are cases where people fell off horses that they've rented and so on, and saying. And the judges are saying, well, it's inherently dangerous. If you do an inherently dangerous activity, then you get hurt for it. Then it, it, the risk was obvious. You chose to take it willingly. Uh, it's your responsibility. And again, if you choose to voluntarily drive with someone who's drunk, then you're taking some responsibility for that. Albeit that normally for a passenger in a car, uh, if you get in an accident, the driver's 100% at fault. Normally a passenger's not. Bob, I want to come back to your comment earlier about living in a socialist state here. Suppose we did not. Suppose that there was no semblance of socialism attached to our form of government at all. What would be the proper disposition of a case like this in your mind? What, my, my point that I was making uh, was that under a socialist system, everybody gets a piece of the cake, so to speak, okay? We all do. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there isn't the money for the catastrophic people, which I've always argued should be the targeted people mm-hmm. if there's going to be last-ditch kind of aid required from the government. That's exactly the kind of case I would think the government would help. The, the case, as you described it to me, and that's all I know about it, is what you just said you know, at the opening there, sounds to me like holding the landlord responsible for spousal abuse that goes on in one of his units out, out, of, out of the thousands and thousands of units he might have in, out there. Or a murder happens in a unit or you know, something illegal and he's held responsible. I think uh, uh, Jeff said it all. He says the name of the game is access to insurance. It's the game. It's not about assigning responsibility. It's about assigning liability. And so basically it's a money grab, you know, and, and it comes back to another thing Jeff said, mandatory auto insurance, which we didn't always have and we shouldn't have, and, and no fault is again at part of the problem. Talking about you, we shouldn't have mandatory insurance? Yeah, we didn't used to. 
But shouldn't everybody, if you want to participate in 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 the little road, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you want to there do was, the roads, shouldn't you have insurance on your car? There was something included in your licensing before we went to mandatory auto insurance, which is something very recent. Basically, mm-hmm. we have a history of this. Uh, you can you can find it online on Freedom. It's called Party unsatisfied site, judgment. Yes, and That's what uh, it was called. Yeah, and uh, people were still allowed to drive, but most people carried insurance, if not as many as today. And today we're having a problem with people not affording insurance, not carrying it when they should, you know, being caught without insurance. It's an increasing problem, not decreasing. And they found that in states where they've done away with no fault and mandatory, that in fact the problems are better for the insurance industry. I don't like. I've never liked the this no fault idea. No, it, you know, if somebody hits you in the parking lot and you've been here sitting still, you both share. Both your companies share the yeah. fault, right? But this isn't no fault. This but is the no. Well, this is exactly. Yeah, this is yes. catastrophic exactly. injury. We have no fault insurance for um, for income replacement for more minor injuries. For instance, if you get in a car accident again and you're off work for a certain amount of time, you look to your own insurance company to compensate you for that, and that's no fault insurance. Um, where, again, your, your insurance company, you've paid the premium, is going to pay you. Now, having said that, um, a lot of people have disability insurance, too. Uh, so we, we have, we have a, I guess, a hybrid system in the sense that it's regulated by government, but it's still mostly private companies that run it, and they, and they are profitable. Like, they're not leaving the business because they're not making money at it. Um, but, again, we have these conventions built into it that aren't necessarily, uh, what I would say, intuitive. The, the, the law isn't necessarily what you'd expect it would be. There are these conventions that they do for different reasons. The main one really is to save money on litigation. They say, look, at, you know, instead of having a zillion cases where we're going to litigate this issue about who should be at, at fault in a left turn accident, we're going to have a convention. Uh, insurance companies are going to agree this is who's at fault, 50-40 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we know that over the long run, the insurance companies are going to be Half the time their driver will be the at fault, the other half the time they'll be the not at fault, and it'll work itself out. Well, it's great for them, except the rates reflect that the, all the drivers are responsible all the time, it seems. Well, and, and I'm always surprised. And it's an injustice to the driver who was not at fault. Well, yeah. one of the weird things about insurance for me is that there are no regulations on uh, what factors they can use in deciding whether to insure you. So, for instance, I recall one year I had three um, property damage things. I had a, a branch hit, a windshield, somebody keyed my trunk, and I can't remember what the third one was, uh, something similar. They were all under $500. And uh, I remember at the end of the year I had a client who was interested in giving me a quote for insurance, and he went to shop me and he said, you're uninsurable because you're unlucky. And uh, nobody will touch you with a barge pole. And again, it's it's the opposite of fault-based in the sense that, uh, again, an insurance company can, can choose to not grant you insurance for any old reason they want and they have got all kinds of complicated You think formulas. that's right because personally I don't I don't think I think in this country if you're going to participate in the insurance industry which is which is a regulated industry in many ways I think you should be required to give people insurance. I'm not saying that, that, that the rates should be controlled but I don't think you should be able to say to somebody we're not going to insure you. Well and beyond that it's also um uh, you may recall that Warren Buffett made a good chunk of his first fortune with uh, GEICO insurance, and GEICO insurance was government employees' insurance, and they would only insure government employees because they, somebody recognized that government employees tend to not have as many accidents as the average population. You may see insurance for people 50-plus, for instance. Mm-hmm. You can cherry-pick your part of the market and say we're only going to insure very low-risk people. Mm-hmm. And again, that's because it's a, it's a free market, free enterprise, and people can choose to do that. Um, 
to your question of whether whether they should be required to insure but, people, I don't know. As long as somebody can get insurance, and there are people who insure high-risk people. And they but they can arbitrarily, this is my beef, they can arbitrarily say, we're not going to insure you. They don't have to tell you why. Yeah. So we don't want your business. In fact, if they tell you why, they can get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Just like uh, an employer can get in a lot of trouble well, telling an employee well, why they, he's firing them. Where they get in trouble is if they say, it, if they if they were discriminate based on a grounds contained in human rights law, sure. they get in trouble. But beyond that, if they said, we're not going to insure you because you've, well, again, because you've had three people run into you in the year, even mm-hmm. though it wasn't your fault at all, uh, they're perfectly free but, to you know, the, There's two ways to look at that, though. The statisticians would say you're no less lucky than anybody else because you're no more likely to have another event than anyone else is, statistically. And there are people who, who don't believe in statistics who would say, well, you've already had three bad things happen to you. You're not going to have any more. That's so right. Either way, come in either way, you're ahead of the game. We have to pause for a second. We've got these important messages, but we're the coming right back. Left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Metz, not a superstitious bone among the three of us. Program continues. Schlemmer and Metz with us. We've been talking about uh, responsibility and insurance and liability and so on. Bob, I want to come back to something you said earlier that that we shouldn't all be participating, but the, in catastrophic situations they should. And and, and the well, that's the idea of insurance. Yeah, isn't well, it? Uh, well, really, this is what frustrates me about insurance companies who say, to, and they haven't said it to me because fortunately my driving record is pretty good. Touch wood, but I have friends who've run into this situation, and and they say, you know, the the uh, uh, we don't want to insure you because you're too big a risk, and say, well, you know, I didn't have anything horrible happen. I had a fender bender here or there. Well, that's fine. You're out. You know. Uh, we don't want you. Well, it seems to me that the purpose of insurance was to have these clever guys, these actuaries, figure out the potential cost of giving everybody whatever the coverage is, uh, dividing that by the number of adherents you had to your policy, and that's the bill you pay. And I, it seems to me they've gotten away from that now. Because well, if government because has regulated their rates, what they can offer, under what conditions they can offer it, and then you have a whole series of of precedents and courts that have also created part of that decision-making process. And so I would dispute Jeff's claim that we have a free market insurance. We we have a choice of certain insurance companies. That doesn't comp- comprise a free market. If you've got a free market in somebody, in, 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 a, in a sector, there is no price control. Nobody's controlling prices. And that's the big problem. You know, no-fault insurance keeps a lot of bad drivers on the road, mm-hmm. let's face it, because the good drivers are penalized equally. They pay the penalty for the bad drivers. We pay, actually, to keep them on the road. And then we wonder why our accident rates are going up, and we've got Julian Fantino all up in arms mm-hmm. about the carnage on the highway. And when we find out that half of these people are just like the criminals, you know, they repeat offenders. Yeah. Well, you find so, well, first thing is we don't have no-fault auto insurance in Ontario. And, again, uh, any system where you can choose arbitrarily for no reason at all to refuse to provide to, to a service to somebody is a pretty private uh, sector business, I would say. Beyond it's that, it's a portion the, of one. The, Jeff. The private requires have, all though, the pieces in place, not it, just one. I recall <laughs> being active around uh, uh, lobbying around no-fault auto insurance in 1990, and uh, that the insurance company essentially has ongoing negotiations with the government about what the standard policy is going to contain, for instance. And again, insurance has remained profitable in Ontario. Throughout, there's never been a period where it's not. Why should any of that be an issue? Why should they have to negotiate? How hard could it be to say these are the coverages that drivers need to protect each other and protect themselves? These are the coverages. This is your standard policy. End of story. Actuaries get to work. Tell us what the rates are, and that's what people pay. Well, as far as providing insurance, you're right. That's that's uh, the the bottom line is that they should be able to. 
to suss out the numbers and figure out if we charge this, we'll make money. Uh, as far as why there are standard terms in auto policies, like, for instance, everybody in Ontario, their standard basic insurance policy is the same. Uh, the language is the same. The reason for that is because there, there have been bad experiences with charlatan companies out there who have stuck in little riders and little exclusion clauses and so on, so that you find out when you need insurance, it's not available. Mm-hmm. And so the government essentially regulates that. And yet the government does the same thing with its own insurance policies by cutting out coverage for things it promised the year before. It's no different than the private market. And let's get that out of our heads. Well, you know, we have... Uh, the government thinks it's in the insurance business. It's in the compensation business, and it got out of the justice business. That's all it does. They don't even care about justice anymore. If you get injured, we'll pay for it. We'll pay for it. We'll the leave the criminals... Well, no, no, I'm just said somebody will... You said earlier, you somebody know, will pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it, and it always... Well, they, they may, but again... It comes like out that, of the collective pot, doesn't it? It's remarkable... Uh, to me that, again, if you've got a $20 million judgment, as they say, your average Joe has not got anywhere near that amount of insurance. So so they're not paying. So, for instance, in that case, what would happen if if they couldn't access Ford or Ford's insurance? It would just mean that this person who a judge has just said needs uh, $11 million to be looked after the rest of their life is going to get a million dollars. Or 500000 they'd split it between the two of them. But isn't it, wouldn't it be more honest? Because the premise of getting the money out of Ford is that, that somebody needs to pay, that we need to, you know, we need, all need to sort of chip in. But since we all don't have money, Ford does. We'll get them to chip in. Wouldn't it be more honest for the government to say this fellow needs X number of dollars for the rest of his life yep. and, uh, and we're going to our catastrophic disaster fund? Uh, where, where if there was government welfare yeah. for anything, or, that would be it. Or that again, would be to, come the kind of say, case. or to come out and say, you know, that uh, if, if the... Um, if it was just the guy and his insurance company here, I would award a million dollars. But since I know it's Ford, I'm going to award twelve million because mm-hmm. I know they can afford it. That mm-hmm. would be honest. Mm-hmm. That's the way the system works. The other, the other um, target for these things, of course, is government. Because again, if you can sue government, they again essentially have an unlimited pool of money. So people are always suing the city of London. I don't know if you remember a year or two ago there was a report about the um, legal costs incurred by the city of Toronto, both in legal costs and settlements in your typical year. And it seems to me it was around fifty million dollars. And uh, again, everybody sees the government as a target for every slip and fall, everything that goes wrong, they're after government for it because, again, government doesn't have policy limits. Uh, Again, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. The the thing that frustrates me the most is that there have got to be uh, probably a dozen different potential sources of revenue for somebody who gets sick and can't work or gets injured and can't work. And we have a dozen different systems, and that makes no sense. It would make sense to have one comprehensive system that is thought out, or at least coordinate the two of them. But uh, if you have, again, somebody who gets hurt at work, they access workers' compensation. Again, you may have private insurance. You may not. It may cover this. It may not. Uh, and again, not the ultimate fallback is welfare for a lot of people. Um, and the systems don't work together. They've all got separate bureaucracies who spend a lot of their time trying to fight to argue the other guy should pay Canada pension, the federal government says the province should pay, vice versa, and the amount of bureaucracy... Giving it to one monopoly cost, is not going to change that. Well, but the, the, ti- the amount of time and, and, and legal fees and everything else spent in assessing who should pay is huge, and, and I include the lawyers in there, like lawyers typically take a third. If you started from the premise that we have to make this work, how hard would it be to make it work? Uh, well, it's a big issue in the sense that it would involve federal and provincial government and the private sector, and they would have to get together. But I would think it would be worth it in the long run. Having said that, it occurs to me as I'm thinking about this that if it weren't for tort lawyers, for lawyers going out and suing insurance companies, suing uh, companies and all that, we would have a lot less responsibility, I would argue, than we do now in the sense that uh, Joe Blow can't go out and sue uh, and bring a complex lawsuit uh, against a company, against an insurance company or a corporate defendant. Uh, as my, I have this love-hate relationship with trial lawyers, and being one myself, it causes endless issues in my own head. <laughs> but one of them is that 
it is true that without a darn good lawyer, you couldn't go out and win a, a medical malpractice case, for instance, with a catastrophic birth, where you're going to have a baby who's going to need a huge care over the course of their life. Uh, there just wouldn't be. Uh, if there wasn't the risk of that happening, would hospitals have lower standards? You know, would they? Would there be more instances of using infected instruments and so on? Would they push on uh, trying to have lower uh, standards for training and so on? I think that's probably true. Uh, people can argue it goes too far the other ways, and that uh, hospitals have now become too risk averse because of the threat of, of malpractice suits. But doesn't this rest in the lawsuit. hands of the judges and the courts, though? Shouldn't but they be the lawyers, though? If well, a lawyer doesn't start a lawsuit, a judge can't do anything. So unless you had a, an avaricious lawyer out there, and this in a way is, is Adam Smith's invisible hand at work, that by promising a lawyer lots of money, if they spend a, a lot of time and, and energy and expertise and risk, uh, because usually the big lawsuits are funded by the lawyers. The lawyers pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to gather the medical evidence, to gather the expert evidence, and so on. Um, if people weren't willing to do that for the big payoff at the end of the day, uh, then again, People could uh, could uh, be injuring people all over the place with with impunity. Uh, so on the one hand, lawyers serve that purpose. On the other hand, a lot of them make a lot of money that could be better spent on health care. Well, amen to whatever it was he just said. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks to Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer for joining us today. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Look forward to seeing you again next Wednesday. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. And thank you for being part of the program today. We'll be- if you've enjoyed this presentation, visit justratemedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing. It's just right.